So on behalf of my family and the 3,500 or so IMB missionaries that serve around the world, I just want to thank you all, First Baptist Church of Noonan, for your support of us. Uh, you pray for our family uh, and uh, stay in touch with us and, and uh, through your giving in the larger sense as, as being a, one of the Southern Baptist churches in our SBC, uh, we are your missionaries uh, because you give to the cooperative program and the Lighting Room Christmas offering and uh, support us in that way. But in a more direct sense, uh, we are your missionaries because we're members here at First Baptist Church. And so we are your uh, missionaries, and in, in that sense, uh, I guess what we do in Japan, on the other side of the world, uh, is an extension of this church and um, your ministry, and so we're grateful to you. Um, we've been this on the field now for almost 25 years, and uh, this is our sixth stateside assignment, and uh, every all six stateside assignment, this church has uh, provided us a place to live, and the last three times, including this one, is this uh, house here on the corner, our mission house, if you allow us to stay. And so we're very grateful for that. Um, let's begin with a word of prayer before we jump into the word here. Father, thank you for your word and for speaking to us through it. I pray that you would open our hearts this morning to hear, uh, and Lord, out of our love for you and our love for people, uh, may we respond in the way that you would have us to. And so have your time with us now and your will in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm going to have the opportunity in December, I think, to share a little bit more about our work as missionaries and what we do in Japan and all that kind of stuff uh, when we're talking about Lottie Moon and uh, Christmas offering and all. So I'll defer on that. Today, what I really want to talk to you about is sharing the gospel. Uh, there are three biblical principles that drive us as IMB missionaries, and they apply to everybody, even though it's something that we hold uh, in our hearts that direct us and motivate us. The first one is that the world's greatest problem is lostness. We've been attending this Grounded series on Tuesday nights and hearing about the different issues that are going on in America today. Uh, we can turn on the news, we can scroll through social media, and we can see all of the problems that are going on in the world today. And we think, though, those are the big problems that we need to deal with. But the underlying problem is not those things. Those are simply symptoms of the problem. The real problem is lostness. And that the only solution to the world's greatest problem is the gospel. And we try to treat symptoms of the primary problem. I mean, you can look at from a more macro level, we've got war and crime and, and you know, political problems between nations. And we can hone down more to personal level and we deal with, you know, things around us like homelessness and, and, and violence and divorce and addiction and relationship problems. Those are things that need to be addressed, things that we want to try to help with, but we want to also address the primary issue, which is our separation from God, our sin nature. And so the only solution really to this world's greatest problem is lostness. And the biblical model to take the gospel to the lost is our presence among the nations. 
That applies here too, not just us who work cross-culturally, but the biblical model for taking the gospel is our presence in our sphere of influence. And our vision, we call it the Revelation 7-9 vision, is that there will be a multitude in heaven one day from every nation, tribe, people, and language knowing and worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason it's our vision is because it's God's vision. It says so in His Word in Revelation. It's his passion, it's his heart that people come to faith in Jesus. And that's what our marching orders are as Christians, is that we're to be out sharing the gospel with those who've not heard it before, with those who've not yet believed. Now, if you're a Christian or you you become a new believer in Christ, there are certain things that we're going to teach you, basic discipleship, things like your assurance of salvation and prayer and reading your Bible and having your devotions, the importance of church, the body of Christ in your life, and so on. And one of those, of course, is also how to share your faith and how to share the gospel. But uh, uh, observationally, it seems to me that there are a lot of Christians who don't share the gospel. Uh, Some, I would dare say, maybe have never shared the gospel even since they came to faith themselves. And so this week I was thinking, like, what are some reasons that people may not share the gospel? And one the obvious one is that people maybe just not know that they're supposed to. It's just kind of ignorance. They have this idea like, oh, you know, it's the pastor's job or the minister's job to do this, or the missionaries, the professional Christians. They're the ones that are supposed to be sharing the gospel. Uh, but, you know, I'm just a regular person, so I don't need to do that. But the Bible does clearly say that we're all supposed to be sharing the gospel. Second reason is like, Uh, lack of maybe knowledge, not knowing how to share the gospel. Uh, You know, I'd like to, but I just don't know how. I've never learned. No one's ever taught me. And so there's this lack of knowledge. We don't feel equipped to share the gospel. A third one is maybe fear. Some people find it awkward or intimidating to talk about matters of faith or they're not sure the other person how they might respond, or they don't want to damage that relationship. They don't want to be seen as some kind of a religious fanatic, you know. And that's really how the culture today is, especially in America, it gets us to shut up as Christians, right? They accuse us of being hateful, of being phobic of something, of, of being racist or bigoted, or just not affirming of whatever they believe or they think or what their lifestyle is. And so, Uh, that intimidation is real, and sometimes we fear about sharing the gospel. And the fourth one, sadly, is that a lot of Christians, I think, just don't care. It's just a sense of apathy, like, yeah, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, that's good for me, so I've done, you know, what I need to do. For some, it's a combination of these factors. Maybe it's some or all of them. Let's pretend for a second, if you were a Japanese person and we've been sharing the gospel with you and you had just come to faith in Christ, there are certain things that I just share that we would share with you, and we would be sharing with you also how to share your faith and how to share the gospel. Japan is a very group-oriented society where harmony and conformity are some of the highest values there. There's an expression, every nail that sticks out gets hammered down. Less than 1% of Japanese are Christian. It's tough here in America right now to be a Christian, and I acknowledge that. But in Japan, the social pressure not to be different 
and not to cause friction or waves is just really enormous. And so we believe it's important, uh, you know, in addition to our love for God and our love for people that God gives us, that we share the why of, of, of sharing the gospel, the reason that we as Christ followers need to, com- to, to share the gospel. We can all get complacent sometimes, and it's good to just be reminded, myself included, uh, about this. And so, what I want to share with you, oh, I mean, before I get to that, uh, let's talk about what is the gospel. People talk about, you know, the gospel all the time, and we have spiritual conversations, and that's great. We, uh, we share our testimonies, you know, about how God has changed our lives, and that's important as well. But the gospel in its essence is this, right? That Christ died for our sins on the cross according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to many to prove that He was, what He said was true, that He really did raise from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15. And Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. Um, that's the essence of the gospel. And this confessing and believing is not just an intellectual assent, as you know. It's a commitment to stake our lives on this truth, repenting of our sins and deciding to follow and obey Jesus as his disciple. And the blessings of knowing God, like eternal life to come, an abundant life now, you know, that, that peace and joy that God gives us in our hearts and walking with Jesus every day, the, the, the assurance of knowing that God is walking through us on this journey of life and that He's working all things together for our good, those who love us, love Him and are, are called according to His purpose. That is the blessing of the gospel, of knowing Jesus that we want to share with those who don't know. There are some different methods, you know, for sharing the gospel along the way. You've probably heard many of them. Some of you may have trained them, CWT, EE, Faith, Romans Road, you know, One Verse Evangelism, and so forth. I'm not getting into the how-tos today of sharing the gospel, although I'll make one comment about that at the end. But rather, what I want to share with you this morning is what we share first with new believers in Japan, which is the why, like what should motivate us to share the gospel and to share Jesus with others. And the four basic points I'm about to share with you this morning are actually come from a, a discipleship method we use in Japan called t for t training for trainers, because it's not our desire just to make disciples, but to make disciples that will make other disciples. And so this is what we would be sharing with someone. Why, why would we need to share the gospel? And I think there are a lot of reasons that the Bible gives us, but here are four and again, hopefully this is going to be positive motivation for why we want to share the gospel. Um, but the, the first one is this, the voice from above. This one's pretty straightforward and it's a pretty obvious one. It's the command of the Lord Jesus. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus said to his disciples, the last command he gave before he was ascended into heaven, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. In Matthew 18, 28, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, or as you go, make disciples of all nations. And frankly, isn't this one voice sufficient, right? This is the message that God has given us, the command that he has given us. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So it's a matter of obedience sharing the gospel. It's not whether you're a vocational minister or a lay person, or if you have the spiritual gift of evangelism, or if you're just a, you know, you don't. We're all as disciples of Christ, as followers of Jesus, commanded by Jesus himself to share the gospel. Inviting people to church is important. 
Inviting people to worship and Bible study is important. I mean, it's great to get non-believers into this orbit of Christians and, and in the sphere of Christians who can influence them and show them what it's like, what it means to be a follower of Christ. But as missionaries, we go cross-culturally, incarnationally, like we live among the people to share the gospel. And as I said a moment ago, the biblical model for taking the gospel to the lost is our presence among them. And for believers in America, you are called to do no less. And for people to hear and understand the gospel, there has to be a verbal proclamation of the gospel. Everybody has heard the gospel at some point if they've become a believer. Uh, it's not enough just to live it out, but we share it verbally. And so the first command is the voice from above, the command of Jesus to go and share. The second one is the voice from below. You think, where are you going with this one? And this is a tough one. But in Luke 16, 19, I'll read this passage. It's about the rich man and Lazarus. You know this story probably. And it says, Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And I would just point out here that we can infer from the passage that the, the rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich, and Lazarus didn't go to heaven because he was poor. We, we realize that in the context of the story, the, the Lazarus was a follower of God. He believed in God, and, and the rich man clearly did not. <clears throat> but in verse 24, it says, he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, verse 27, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said to him, no, father Abraham, but if someone goes to them, arise, goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus rose from, rose from the dead, and there's still a lot of people who don't believe in him. And I think Jesus' words here were true. And this may not resonate with you as much in America, but if you'll just hear me out here, I just mentioned that less than 1% of Japanese are, are Christians. And so... The vast majority of the time when we share the gospel with Japanese people, they've never heard the gospel before. And you can pretty certainly say that the majority of their relatives, if any of them, have ever heard the gospel before. They're hearing it for the first time. And Japanese are a culture that venerate and worship their ancestors. They honor them and... and um, the oldest son, his, his job is to take care of the family altar and to make sure that, that uh, you know, the, the ancestors are, 
are venerated and worshiped and taken care of. And so it's a big deal to them. And as they hear the gospel and they begin to understand what it means, one natural question that often comes up to them is, what about my ancestors who have never heard the gospel before? And this is the sad news that we have to tell them. You know, according to Scripture, it's too late for your ancestors. But if your ancestors could communicate with you, they would implore you to believe Jesus and follow him so that you do not come to the same place. To be clear, Jesus, or God rather, God does not send people to hell in eternal separation from him. Breaking the law in various ways and just getting away with it, you know? Or you see people, criminals, violent criminals often, who are arrested and then turn around and release because DAs are not prosecuting the crimes that they've sworn, you know, the law they've sworn to uphold. How many of them or how many of us, rather, you know, applaud that? Well, they're so loving and kind, you know. Uh, they're so gracious. Uh, for most of us, I think we get kind of angry because we know that there's been a miscarriage of justice and people didn't get what they deserve. They should be prosecuted for their crimes. And we, we, we sense that innately because we're created as God's image bearers, and we have that standard written on our hearts. We know what's right, and we know what's wrong, and when people get away with what's wrong, it, it, it irks us, right? And yet, when God judges sin because He's righteous and holy and just, we, we act like that's not fair, but God is fair, and He must punish sin. But at the same time, God is also loving and kind, which is why he has sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins, so that those who trust in his salvation receive forgiveness and are clothed, clothed in his righteousness. But according to Jesus, at least this rich man, so presumably many others, maybe everyone who goes to hell, love their family enough that they, they don't want them to suffer the same fate, and they would love for their loved ones who are still here to be able to have the opportunity to hear the gospel and turn to Jesus so that they will not suffer the same fate. But they can't tell them. But we can. You can. I can. So there are voices from below. When you see people who are lost around you, let's remember that. There are voices of loved ones who suffered a fate, separation from God that want their relatives and friends and loved ones to know Jesus. The third voice is the voice from inside. And I got this from 1 Corinthians 9, 16, and 17, where Paul says, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Now, this passage is in the context of Paul talking about his rights and how he's given up many of his rights for the sake of others. But he says here he's, that he's compelled to share the gospel. And woe is me, he says, if I don't do this. It's not just like, oh, too bad if I don't. Like, woe is me. Is, if you think of the Old Testament where someone says, woe to you, or Jesus when he said, woe to you, I mean, he's saying, you're being judged for this. You should be doing this. 
And Paul says, I just, there's something in me that I can't help myself. I have to go out and share. It's so important that I do this. But he also says, you know, even if I don't want to do this, I've been entrusted with this stewardship. And I would submit, ladies and gentlemen, that we're in the same place as Paul when it comes to the stewardship being entrusted to us because 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20 says this, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. We beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You know, as believers, our love for God, our concern for the lost, our desire to follow and obey the Lord, our understanding of the nature and value of the gospel to ourselves and its life-giving message, its literal life or death importance should compel us internally to share the gospel. And if there's not some sense within us as believers that says, I have this life-giving message I need to be sharing with other people, you might want to check your heart. Because God has been very clear that he wants us to share, that it's not his will that any man should perish, but that all come to faith. So the voice from inside compels us. The fourth and last one is the voice from the outside. Acts 16, 9 through 10, Luke is writing about Paul, and he says, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. In my, I don't know, it was college days, or maybe it was before that, but when I came back to the States for college, there was a Christian artist, Steve Green. He had a song called People Need the Lord, and it started this way. Every day they pass me by, I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries, only Jesus hears. People need the Lord. When you see people passing by, what do you see? I'll be honest. I mean, in America, I see everybody having a great time. They're living their lives. I mean, we live in a country that's blessed with freedoms. We're blessed materially and financially. I mean, we got a lot. Of, we, we can live it up in America. It's, and I'm not knocking that, okay? So please don't hear me saying that. Uh, but people here have the opportunity. We get, you know... Um, just to live in the houses the size of houses that we live in and have maybe a lake house or a summer house or, you know, beach house, mountain house, and we get to go water skiing and, and we get to go travel and we get to go eat at nice restaurants and we do all these fun things, watch football, you know? Um, and that's all wonderful and there's no judgment there. But at some point in people's lives... There's a cry within them that calls for help, whether they say it audibly or not, that says, come help me. If you take time to invest in your neighbor's <clears throat> relationships there with coworkers or your classmates or your friends, and you get to know people and hear their stories, you're eventually going to hear about their struggles. You're eventually going to hear about their problems and their 
their fears, their pain, their heartache, the things that they're just dealing with. And dealing with those things alone for a lot of people can be really overwhelming and hard. We have a friend in Japan. She was a former pop singer in the 80s, I guess. She's a little older than me, but um, she was a singer for a while. And eventually, well, while she, while she was a singer, she had some very tragic things happen in her life. She had a husband who was also very well-placed in Japanese society. He got a, esophageal cancer, and he and she were in the hospital together while she was pregnant with some complications, and then he died shortly after she gave birth to her son. She, she wanted to commit suicide. She was just in the depths of despair after all of this, and she had a Christian neighbor who shared the gospel with her, and she came to faith. And uh, she's, after giving up her singing career, has became kind of a, a real estate mogul in Tokyo. She owns a number of buildings, very well off, I guess, and, and, and hangs with kind of the, the elite in Japanese society. And we had the privilege of working with her some. But I asked her, she, she's very evangelistic, and she leads a dozen or more people to the Lord every year. And I asked her once, I said, what, what's your, how do you do that? Like, wh- how do you reach all these people uh, and she said, you know, I just, I'm just their friend. And I build relationships with them, and we hang out together. And eventually, everybody has problems. And she said, when they have problems, then I take that opportunity to share the gospel with them, and I'm able to lead them to faith. <clears throat> is it hard or uncomfortable? Yes, sometimes it is. At first, maybe, at least, but we must uh, do this. And there are people all in Noonan who are lost and need the gospel. Colossians 1.5 is one of my favorite passages. It says this, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. In this part where he says, Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to believers in Macedonia, K, and so forth. If we share and live out our faith, God's going to bless our lives and bless those around us. Um, it's never too late to start. I have a couple of practical things I want to share with you as I close. I want you to start, if you would, by thinking about the people in your orbit, in your sphere of influence, the people that you associate with who are not Christians, and go ahead and start making a list. Make a list of five to ten people that you know are lost and begin to pray for them every day. Pray for opportunities to build your relationship with them. Pray for opportunities to minister to them, and then pray for opportunities to share the gospel with them. Pray for opportunities so they'll eventually come to faith in Christ as you share not as a project, right? We know, people know when they're a project. And um, I'm reminded of a, a friend of ours, Renee, one of Renee's friends in our neighborhood, once uh, <clears throat> we had refused to participate in a neighborhood, um, uh, cell, it was, a, it was a, a festival where they carry around the, the Shinto God Shelf, and just from a faith standpoint, we, we could not participate in that. And and our friends are very involved in the Neighborhood Association. And so uh, when we declined to do that one year, um, she came and asked Renee, she says, well, if I never believe in Jesus, are you still going to be my friend? 
And people know. People know that they're a project if you're just trying to win them. But if they know that you are truly going to be their friend, of course, Renee answered, yes, of course I'll be your friend. But people know that you love them and you care about them the way that Jesus commands us to love and care about people, then you have an opportunity to share and to, to win them. <clears throat> if you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, let's not forget that according to Jesus, our neighbors aren't limited to people who may look like us or talk like us or think like us or vote like us or have the same convictions as us. The people that sometimes we're the most um, not attracted to are some of the ones that need the gospel the most. Uh, I have a friend, a dear friend now, who's a believer in our house church that I shared the gospel with for seven years before he finally came to faith in Christ. We have 15 or 20 neighbors now who attend. They've been coming, most of them, for two or three years now. Every Sunday, this lady that I just shared with you about a minute ago was one of them. And uh, we're still praying and sharing with them in faith that they will one day come to, to believe in Jesus. <clears throat> so make a list of people and begin sharing with or praying for them. And next thing is, if you don't know how to share the gospel, you need to learn how to share a simple straightforward presentation of the gospel. You say, well, that takes some work. Yeah, it does. But it's so important that you do. And we're called to do it. It's, a, it's an obedience thing. And, and it's not some college upper-level course. It's, it's not discipleship, you know, 800-level stuff, advanced obedience. It's, it's basic 101 discipleship. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be able to share the gospel. It's great to have uh, spiritual conversations and to share, share your testimony, and that gets people interested in wanting to know more about why you're a Christian. But at some point, the gospel has to be shared if people are going to, to, to have faith and believe. One of that's popular today, we learned a few years ago, is called Three Circles. Three Circles. You can look it up online, and you just type in three circles evangelism, and you get the whole presentation. You can write it out. It shows you how to do it, you know, on a, a piece of paper or napkin. You can look it up on YouTube and watch people doing it and just learn it in a few minutes. Um, but it's important that we all know how to share an appropriate word when that opportunity comes. And I hear a lot about our having a multi-generational church here, and I think that's wonderful. But I would also submit to you that while that's a, a great thing, an even better picture is the Revelation 7-9 vision that I mentioned at the beginning of my message, that there will be people from every nation, people, language, and tribe worshiping together in heaven, and so why not here? God has brought people from all over to the, the world here to Noonan. I've been out and around Noonan since we've been back and, and heard people speaking Japanese uh, in Kroger and at restaurants and at Barnes & Noble. I mean, they're everywhere. And there are not only Japanese and other Asians, but, you know, Middle Easterners and Europeans, Southeast Asians. They're all here, and they would, many of them, love to experience some Southern hospitality. They would love to experience a relationship with uh, Americans, you know. Um, and even when I was in seminary, we had a neighbor who was Taiwanese in our student housing. 
And there were other internationals on campus, and even at a seminary, it seemed that Americans were hesitant to go and try to reach out to the internationals. And I could never figure out why. But what if the roles were reversed? I, I spent most of my life growing up overseas. And I mean, think about it. If you were in another country and you were the fish out of water and you didn't know anybody and you didn't know, know the culture, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to have a friend? And they need the gospel. And so when you see an international, when you see other people that aren't like us, make a point to reach out to them and share the gospel with them, invest in them, because God loves them, and he's made a way for them to be reconciled as well to Jesus or to God through Jesus. If you're here this morning and you've never decided to give your life to Jesus and follow him as Lord of your life, the Bible says that you're lost too. You're separating from God and you need to be reconciled to him. And so today, I'm urging you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. God's design for us has been broken by sin and there's no escaping the negative effects of that. But in turning to God through repentance and faith in Jesus and his resurrection, you can be saved. You can be restored to that relationship with him. I quoted Romans 10, 9 and 10 a few minutes ago, which says, if you confess that Jesus is Lord with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved because with the mouth confession is made into salvation and with the heart man believes unto righteousness. I'm not talking about just some kind of a, you know, saying the, the prayer or walking the aisle to use church language. I'm talking about a real trust that includes praying your confession to God that you believe in Jesus and the power of him his power to forgive you and committing to follow and obey him as Lord of your life. If you're willing to make that decision today to follow Jesus, I would encourage you to come down at this invitation time following the message and speak to one of the ministers. I'll be down here at the front and you can share that with us and we'd be happy to talk to you about it. Maybe you're not ready to make a decision. You're like, I'm not ready to become a Christian, but I just kind of want to know more about what this is about then I'd encourage you to come. Come on down. We'd be loved. We'd be honored to sit down and talk to you about who Jesus is and the difference he can make in your life. Maybe you've already made that decision and you've not followed the Lord in believer's baptism yet. This is your opportunity to come down and do that. But I would encourage all of us who are believers to commit today to start praying for those around us who are lost and taking the time to share the most life-giving message of the gospel and learning how to share that, and then going out and, and sharing it. If we want our church to grow, share the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for our salvation. We're so grateful for the love you extended to us and the grace and forgiveness um, for your Holy Spirit working in our lives and drawing us to yourself so that we could make that decision to follow you. Lord, there are so many around us, people that we come into contact with every day. Maybe sometimes we don't because we're so caught up in our own circles of friends and our life patterns that it's easy just to, to not even uh, see the lost people around us in our day-to-day -day lives. But Father, give us your eyes to see those around us who are hurting, those around us who are lost and who need you Give us the boldness, Father, as those persecuted believers.
prayed in Acts. Boldness to stand up for Jesus. Boldness to seize the opportunities. Maybe not to share the gospel at first, but at least to to build relationships and, and try to have those conversations that would eventually lead to the gospel. And Father, use this church and use the people here to um, lead others to faith. May we see your kingdom grow. We thank you for the privilege that you have entrusted this gospel message to us as your ambassadors. Father, help us to take that responsibility, that privilege seriously and to fulfill in faith what you've called us to do. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.